Hello to all our listeners. Thank you for joining us today on episode 16 of our MMM podcast, Music is Medicine, Ask the Expert. MMM stands for Music Men's Minds, a nonprofit organization that began seven years ago with the mission of serving seniors suffering from neurodegenerative diseases, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia, stroke, traumatic brain injuries, and PTSD. Carol began this organization when her late husband, Erwin, fell into the clutches of Parkinson's. Although Irwin's condition continued to progress, Carol found music was the one thing that kept the joy alive during the late stages of his life. And this is when she realized music is medicine. Enjoy episode 16. Our guest today is Dr. Rudolph Tanzi. Dr. Tanzi is the Vice Chair of Neurology, Director of the Genetics and Aging Research Unit, Co-Director of the Henry and Allison McCann Center for Brain Health, and Co-Director of the Massachusetts General Hospital Institute for Neurodegenerative Diseases. He serves as the Joseph P. and Rose F. Kennedy Professor of Neurology at Harvard Medical School, where he also received his PhD in neurobiology. Since 1982, Dr. Tanzi has focused his studies on Alzheimer's disease to better understand its etiology and pathology. Dr. Tanzi co-discovered the first familial Alzheimer's disease genes, as well as genetic markers for other neurological diseases, such as Wilson's disease and has worked to develop therapies for treating and preventing Alzheimer's disease. Dr. Tanzi serves as chair of the Cure Alzheimer's Fund Research Leadership Group and numerous advisory and editorial boards. He's published over 600 research papers, received the highest awards in his field, hosted several shows on public television, and has testified to Congress on both Alzheimer's disease and brain health. It's an honor to have you here, Dr. Tanzi. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Katie. Great great to be here. So we'd love to ask what inspired you to pursue your current career path and how has that path changed over time? Well, I I mean, my current career path, my main career path is to try to end Alzheimer's disease. And I've been carrying out Alzheimer's research, as I said, now for 40 years. And and, uh, I've never been more excited about my own research and the prospects for for ending this disease. And... um, this is a really exciting time, but very exciting era in Alzheimer's uh, research that we can get into. But besides doing Alzheimer's research, I'm also a musician. I play keyboards and um, my love is jazz, uh, playing jazz piano, but professionally I play keyboards for people like Aerosmith and Joe Perry and various groups uh, who need a studio organ, Hammond organ, piano, et cetera. And so I, I really, I still, that's kind of, that's my respite. You know, when I play in music, that creativity process is what breeds the creativity process and research. And I think I think about research similar to what I think about music, which is to not be derivative, be original, be creative, do something different. And so I think they really feed each other well. But I, I, anyway, I've been um, at this for a long time and things are really going great right now. Even, even though it was back in the 80s and 90s that, I discovered the the first Alzheimer's genes, and you would think that that's the peak. That pales compared to how excited I am right now about my research. Wow. So what what is on deck for you? What current research projects are you, have you been working on? Well, I've been doing a lot of work on the fact that Alzheimer's disease takes decades to lead to symptoms. So just like heart disease, you know, where you have high cholesterol early in life, and then that increases your risk for heart disease. Um, in Alzheimer's, it's something called amyloid, beta amyloid, the sticky material that accumulates in the brain. 
And the amyloid that accumulates in the brain, just like the cholesterol that accumulates in your vessels, begins up to three decades before you might get the disease. Like, you know, if you have high cholesterol, you manage it decades before you might get heart disease. And we've learned now that's the same thing with Alzheimer's with amyloid. We have to stop the amyloid accumulating in the brain and the vessels around the brain decades before. And so if you think about it, it takes all this time for the amyloid to, to form. And then the amyloid has to cause this other pathology in the brain called tangles, these wispy things that kill nerve cells from inside. And then that has to do a third thing. You have to cause inflammation in the brain. You know, many people learned during COVID about cytokine storm, how COVID itself doesn't kill you, but COVID induces inflammation, a cytokine storm that gets uh, certain tissues to be damaged. Same thing in Alzheimer's. Amyloid, then tangles, and inflammation. But that whole process takes 30 years or so before you get the disease. And so now the big breakthrough was we created Alzheimer's in a dish. So this is little mini human brain organoids. Organoids like a, like a, a facsimile of an organ in the body. So these are, think of a pea-sized gelatinous little ball that has human brain neurons and other cells in it that we give Alzheimer's disease. And the same process that takes place in the brain over 30 years, we get it to take place in this little mini ball in just six weeks. So 30 years and six weeks. And that's made drug discovery literally 100 times faster and 100 times cheaper. So now I have all of these new drugs. Many of them are known drugs that are already safe because we can quickly screen them now. Like in the old days, you had to screen one drug at a time in a mouse, a mouse model of Alzheimer's, a so-called transgenic mouse, and each drug took two years to screen. Now we can like take a plate the size of an index card with, with you know 96 wells in it, and each one has a mini brain in it and test 100 drugs at a time. So um, we have a treasure trove now of known drugs, known natural products, some new drugs we developed that hit all these different stages of Alzheimer's pathology before you get symptoms, the plaques, the tangles, the inflammation. And we're using combinations of these now in new trials at the McCann Center that I co-directed at Mass General. So I really feel for the first time a lot of hope that we're going to see light at the end of the tunnel from this. So you just sort of explained what's going on in the brain when someone has Alzheimer's disease. How does that translate to some of the cognitive deficits that we see or um, does it target certain areas of the brain? Yeah, so this pathology specifically accumulates in parts of the brain involved with memory, short-term memory in particular. So here's the thing, if you only have the early pathology, the plaques and the tangles that initiate the disease, you won't get symptoms. That has to induce the inflammation, we call it neuroinflammation. And then you get massive amounts of cell death and, and the loss of the connections between the nerve cells, what makes up your neural network in your brain, the synapses. And when that starts to happen, then you start seeing the uh, early stages of, of memory loss and cognitive impairment, having trouble keeping track of everyday tasks, increasingly becoming confused, agitated, and that early stage of Alzheimer's is a very frustrating time. It's actually when music therapy can be very useful because it can calm a person down if they hear the music that they love in those early stages. 
But the important thing that people don't know is, a lot of people don't know is that it takes decades to get to that point. This pathology is brewing for 30 years. And that means you have a window of opportunity to stop it. If we can detect it early, you can intervene and prevent it early. And that's what we're going to do. That's what we're, that's going to be how we end Alzheimer's disease. And to do that, you need good, safe drugs. And because of the this new little Alzheimer's in a dish model that we developed, we could go and take stuff already on the shelf. You can get at the drugstore. You know, there are 1,700 approved drugs from the FDA. There are thousands of natural products. And we can screen them all. We've done it for the last seven years with $5 million or so of funding from Cure Alzheimer's Fund. We've screened everything and we've validated what works. And now we're making combinations that are multimodal. They hit the amyloid plaques, the tangles, the inflammation. And we're putting those into clinical trials now to see first, which ones stop the pathology? And then the ones that stop the pathology best, you'll use in the right patient at the right time in clinical trials to see if you can ameliorate and improve the memory and the cognitive deficits. So that's all happening now at our center. Um, but the big break was to come up with this uh, dish model of Alzheimer's and get away from the mouse models because this has made everything much faster and much more exciting. So what can we do with pharmaceuticals compared to things we can do with um, things like music therapy or other sort of natural um, interventions? Well, music, you know, is great. Music stimulates. I like to think about music as the back door to the parts of the brain that are affected in Alzheimer's disease. These parts of the brain that are involved with short-term memory are intimately linked to the parts of the brain where you have music memory. But what's amazing is that as this disease spreads through the brain, the music memory parts of the brain are remarkably spared. They just, they're not vulnerable. So, you know, we've all heard the stories. I, I just did a story on Boston uh, News Channel 5, WCVB, about a woman who's 92 years old without full-blown Alzheimer's. And you tell her to play a classical piece. And she'll say, I don't know that. And then she'll stop playing it, like clear the loon. And then when she's finished, she'll, she'll say, what was the name of the piece I just played? You know, and and so uh, I was in, I was part of this news story talking about music and, and, and memory. And it's amazing. So music is this, I like to say, music's the gift that keeps on giving because that part of the brain stays. And the best part is that that part of the brain where music memory is stimulates the nerve cells and the parts of the brain that are affected by Alzheimer's. So it's a backdoor way to stimulate these parts of the brain that are being kind of uh, silenced by Alzheimer's disease. And in the early stages, you can use music, like I said earlier, to calm people down. The agitation, the horror of not having access to your your mind. I mean, this is in the beginning stages of this disease. As you know, it's it's horrific for the patient. Later on, music can be used to stimulate. So when the patient might not be as communicative, or 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 silent, or bedridden, the music will wake them up. And and especially if it's music that they loved between the ages of like twelve and twenty five, right? So depending, you know, if you're an Alzheimer's patient who's 90 plus, you know, you might play, you know, music from the 40s, you know, in the mood or or some jazz like Round Midnight. Or if, if, if it's an 80 plus patient, you might play music from the 50s and 60s, you know, uh, or, or some uh, bebop jazz from that time, depending on what their genre choice 
was. And there are Alzheimer patients in their 70s. And there you can go to the Beatles and Elton John and, you know, 60s and 70s music. So and so on. So you you, you suit the music to that, that, you know, you basically just subtract from the age, which you need to, to get to between 12 and 25. And that's the music that will stimulate them in, in the late stages and in the early stages, calm them down. It's not the same as treating the patients with therapies. I, I, you know, it's it's more of a symptomatic thing. It's more just to make their lives easier and to make the lives of your loved ones and the caregivers easier. It's, diff- it's not, I, I can't really say there's evidence that, that the music is stopping the disease, right? But look, if you're stimulating those parts of the brain and getting activity, who knows? You might be causing improvement we don't even know about yet. So are there properties of the cells where music memory is stored that make them more preserved? Is it a dopamine thing? Is it an emotion thing? Is it just sort of unexplained at this point? Totally unexplained. These nerve cells that were in the parts of the brain where there's music memory, somehow these nerve cells are not vulnerable to the amyloid plaque. Because see, the amyloid has to interact with a nerve cell, this sticky, gooey material amyloid. It interacts with the nerve cell, and that causes the nerve cell to make um, what's called a tau tangle, a tangle or a neurofibrillary tangle. It's, it looks like uh, one of those tr- twisted pretzel sticks that you, I got one on the plane on JetBlue the other day. Um, I thought, I'm eating a tangle. Um, and, and, and these like choke the nerve cell from inside and kill it. And as the nerve cells die, that induces the inflammation. And the inflammation, it causes a ton of cell death. Um, so it seems that the, ner- the neurons, the nerve cells and the music memory parts of the brain, when they encounter amyloid, if they even do, they don't make tangles. They don't undergo the cell death. Um, maybe maybe those areas are just spared of amyloid. I don't, I don't know if anyone specifically looked at whether there's amyloid in those regions. I guess there is amyloid in those regions, but somehow those nerve cells stay resistant and resilient. So there's a lot to learn from those nerve cells as well. What makes them resilient? We're studying that type of thing too. Could you tell us a little bit about Spark Memory Radio? Um, how did it start and how can it be used? Well, uh, it started as a music service for people who are caregivers for loved ones or or for Alzheimer's or in, in um, nursing homes. And the idea was very simple. Put in the patient's age, uh, put in what you know about the patient's genre of music choice, whether it's jazz or country or rock, swing, whatever, pop. And and then it was it generates a list and it starts playing music that were hits, songs that were hits when that patient was between 12 and 25 years old, because that's when you emotionally bond with your music. And that it's that emotional bond that allows the emotional part of the brain, the limbic system, to link to the music. So the music memory is linked to this emotional part of the brain called the limbic system. That limbic system contains a part of the brain called the hippocampus, which is where your short-term memory is. That's the part of the brain that's specifically affected in Alzheimer's disease first. So the music is now physically localized, the music memory is physically localized near that part of the brain but it's also emotional memory. And so you combine those things, music, emotional recognition, and then you're stimulating that part of the brain needed for short-term memory. So, 
you know, hearing that music can bring the, can not only calm the patient down during times where they're frustrated or agitated in the house, um, but it also uh, can start to stimulate um, short-term memory again. And I, I can't tell you how many emails I got with people who were using the Spark Memories Radio, uh, which unfortunately is no longer exists. The Spark Memories Radio went out of business. You know why? Because on music, on other music services now, you can just state which which uh, decade of music you want. So if you know why pay ten bucks uh, to Spark Memories Radio for a specific list? when you can do the math yourself and say, okay, I'm just going to play music from the forties for my loved one. And you can just do that on Apple or Spotify or whatever you want. So, uh, and, and, and for the same amount of money that we had to charge to, to pay for the rights for the music, you can get all the music you want from the other music services. So it made us kind of obsolete. Um, but at least we taught people, you know, we taught people how to do it. We said, look, it, you know, if you if your loved ones in their nineties with Alzheimer's play music from the forties, you know, so you can do it yourself now. You didn't need a service anymore, but we're just happy that we got it going. The other thing about music is it alleviates stress, and a lot of stress stress in the brain leads to the production of a toxic chemical called cortisol, which kills neurons, and so. Um, that's also very good for Alzheimer's patients. It also, um, you know, there were stories where, you know, people who didn't know how to play music, who would be between 60 and 85, and they had, you know, just beginning memory problems. And they started, you know, taking 30 minute piano lessons, um, you know, for three hours or so a week. And all of a sudden those, those folks started getting better. Their memory started getting better, just learning, because now you're stimulating activity in the music memory part of the brain, teaching them how to play music, and that's stimulating the parts of the brain that have been quelled by Alzheimer's. So it is, uh, that's also a very useful thing. So how would you compare these effects when you're making new music and learning new music versus listening to something familiar more passively? Yeah, that's a great, great question. And I don't think we know enough about that. I, I think, you know, for most people, it's listening to music that will help because you're stimulating the music memory. But when you're learning music, you're also learning how to learn. You're improving your speed of processing. You're improving your memory because you have to remember this key is C and that key is D and this key is E. Behind the two black ones is notes, the first two black ones is C. So you have to memorize the notes and then you have to read music and, and go from C to E to G, play a C chord. So that so what was seen in those people who are learning music was improved processing speed and memory just after three months of weekly lessons uh, because it's, it's teaching you how to learn again. And which is a little different than just listening to music, which is stimulating that part of the brain. And, and then through the connection, stimulating the parts of the brain that are affected in Alzheimer's disease. So it's, it's a little different, but I don't think we know enough about the big, big differences. You know, there's also rhythm, you know, you, people are using rhythm to treat folks with Parkinson's disease, right? Or people who've had a stroke who are undergoing rehabilitation, you can just use um, slow, steady rhythms such as drum beats. And that will help a Parkinson patient to now move more steadily in, you know, in their gait or, or, or help a, a stroke patient who's rehabilitating. You know, the rhythm can help them to deal with a movement, any type of movement disorder or paralysis as well. So that's a whole nother thing. Rhythm's a whole nother way, rhythmic cues to use music memory. 
So in, in all senses, we're seeing the qualitative benefits of music on stress, memory, movement. How widely would you say music is utilized in the healthcare field, given all these benefits? Not enough. Um, it's still very little, I would say. It's it's not really used as much as it should be. I think it could be much, you know, music medicine is still pretty traditional, right? Conservative. So anytime you get into alternative ways of treating, you have to have a particularly enlightened and interested doctor who's going to do that. And, um, you know, that's going to be only a fraction of docs who are going to be willing to stray away from the traditional and conventional ways of doing of, of treating patients. But, you know, here at Mass General, we have folks who do it. You know, we have folks at Spalding. I can look out my window at Spalding here, and I know the folks there are doing music therapy. Um, at home base where we take where they take care of uh, vets who underwent PTSD or ex Navy SEALs, they're using music there. Um, you know, I, I uh, invented these um, glasses that I have here that that do light flashing with music. I use my own music, and then we use a, a light show that you see with your eyes closed, and it trains the brain at different frequencies that can help with the pathology and to make the light flashing. Um, tolerable, you know, we I, I have music that goes along with it that I record myself on my studio. And we're using that now in different trials over at Spalding. So it's getting there. And I think where I am, I'm lucky at Mass General and uh, and next to Spalding and Mass General Brigham, um, we have access to Berkeley uh, College School of Medicine, where the, I mean, Berkeley School of Music. Berkeley uh, is a great music school, as you know, and there's a great music therapy program there. So um, I think Boston's a little ahead of the game, but we hope it spreads. Are there steps that we can take to integrate it further on a wider scale, or does it is it something that needs to come about from smaller um, changes? Well, I think I, I think that, you know in 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 nursing homes or Alzheimer's centers or day centers, for example, this is where you start. You know. Um, you might have, you know, picture a room and you have patients there who are quiet and kind of withdrawn and Alzheimer's patients and they're sitting there kind of bored. And all of a sudden, you know, they hear a waltz. And then these patients who are not really saying much are relatively unresponsive. They're in their little cocoon of dementia. And all of a sudden, um, they start tapping their feet, right? And next thing you know, they're tapping their hands. And next thing you know, they're smiling and they're looking at each other smiling like, oh, I remember this song. You remember this song? Yeah, I remember this song. And now they, 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 some of them might start get up and to dance. And all of a sudden you take someone who is just in a cocoon of silence and, you know, and they're, they're interactive with others. And, you know, it's a, it's a magical thing, right? Music at that point becomes like a bridge where these parts of the brain start getting all activated and people are having interactive experiences, social experiences, rather than being feeling isolated. All that despair, the disconnection goes away during the, while they're listening to that waltz. You need more of that, right? And the more we start doing that and the more doctors start hearing about it, the more they'll start using it um, in, in, you know, uh, in rehabilitation centers and, and, and um, suggesting that nursing homes do this. Um, I, know, I know musicians um, who go to nursing homes and do rhythm stuff with drums to get to get um, uh, uh, the, the the folks the residents there stimulated, 
Um, there was a guy from the band Boston. I think there was a drummer who was doing that at, at nursing homes. So it's it's there are many interested parties who want to want to help out and do this. And it's it's a movement. You know, that's why which, you know, what you're doing there with Music Men's Minds, you know, is that's the center of the revolution. You know, I tell people about it all the time. I, I gave a talk last night in Boston um, for Peter Diamandis, who started the X Prize. He has a group that um, gets together to hear about all the newest science going on uh, in Boston. So I was there one of the, I did the, uh, the keynote uh, fireside chat with him last night. And afterwards, because um, he introduced me as also being a musician, someone came up to me from Canada and they're starting a national music center in Canada, in Calgary, that is going to be dedicated to um, uh, exhibitions on music and, mu and music therapy. It's a be beautiful looking uh, building. And they said, we want to connect to music therapy groups. So I instantly said, music men's minds. I'm going to talk to them tomorrow. You know, so um, there, there's a movement. It's, I think it's happening, you know. And, uh, you know, um, what was that song, Alice's Restaurant, where she said, things start like a movement and then they become a revolution. So that's what's happening here. So, Alo Guthrie. <laughs> I'm showing my age now, but that's all right. <laughs> So I have one last question for you before I turn it over to the panel. Um, why is it important to you right now to keep music in your life independently outside of the diagnoses that you're looking at? Um, you seem like a very busy person. You have a lot going on with this research. Um, so why is it a priority for you to continue to make music part of your life? It's simple. I, if I don't play music every day, my science suffers. I don't know exactly why, but I know that when I'm not playing music, I can't think about science the same way. My analytical skills, my creative skills in science, thinking about new ideas and stuff, go away if I'm not playing. So I have to play piano every day, every single day, whether it's playing covers uh, of you know whatever or, or or doing improvisational stuff. I have a music website um, where I have forty or 50 hours of my own music, just um, improvisational music inspired by people like Keith Jarrett and Bill Evans and a lot of the jazz piano players who I love. And I'm lucky that that website, um, you know, because I can track it, gets about 30,000 listens or downloads per day. So like, here I am a scientist, and more people hear my music than read my papers. Right, and I don't make any money from it. It's all free. It's it's a it's a, like an amateur website. It's called uh, Number One Music at n1m.com and slash Rudy Tanzi. But I mean, so yeah, I check it, and you know, um, and 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 I can see exactly how many people, how many downloads or listens that were. Usually, it's about maybe four thousand people per day, but they listen to multiple songs. But that's like thousands of people per day hearing your music. And it makes me really happy. And so I keep recording music. I got a studio at home and I record music and I put it on there. And as long as it makes people happy and listen, I keep doing it. But if I don't do that, my my science suffers. I know that just empirically, just historically, that that's how it is. Wow. That's really inspiring. Um, okay, well, that's it for my questions. I will turn it over to Carol or anyone else in the panel to 
share their questions. Wow. Talk about a showstopper. Well, I know why I don't retire, because I want to be in the center of the revolution. And that is really music to my ears, Rudy. <laughs> and, and the most crazy notion is that how a crazy idea nine years ago as the result of Jeff Bronstein, who is the director of the Movement Disorder Clinic at UCLA, when I called him to tell him what I was watching Irwin respond to as he was playing piano in my home at a time when his cinemet dose had been dropped dramatically because of his being uh, suffering overdose of, of, of the synthetic dopamine. Mm-hmm. And my guy was lost. He was lost in space. He would sit down at the piano like a wet noodle. And repeatedly, I would watch him resurrect 10 or 15 minutes after music making. And I would literally have to question myself whether I'd given him a pill. And Jeff said, you're watching the music, the the power of music changing brain chemistry. And it was on that aha moment that I said, so can I get like-minded souls suffering from like-minded issues to come and jam together and we can all resurrect and feel happy again. And that was the, the moment of miracle that birthed music men's minds. So I, I've lived this. I see this every day, 24-7, as we now have contacts with people globally suffering from these diseases and and yeah, I'm so happy to hear about the Calgary organization. I'd love to have more information about them. Maybe Susanna can uh, link us to them. Yeah. But yeah, to think about us being in the center of the revolution. Thank you for being by our side. <laughs> yeah, it's called it's called Studio. The Calgary thing is called Studio Bell. Studio, Studio Bell. Bell at the music National Music Center. I just. I got their card just last night. There were three folks there. And the woman I talked to was named Jennifer Buchanan. I can send you her. She's a music therapist. And I can send you um, the information. Yeah. And another question, and then, Dr. Joyce, you get your turn. Um, Mm -hmm. Talking about the music storage cells, being more resilient is what I heard you call them. And that's been fascinating to me. Um, and and that they may be in contact with the tangles uh, or the or the amyloid, yeah. but somehow they're not interacting with them the same as another brain cell would interact and and then succumb. Um, I also heard from one of the other researchers that we interviewed that. These music storage cells are mostly situated in the temporal lobes of the brain. And and that's not where Alzheimer's usually goes. So it's kind of it, spreads in the- there. it does spread to the temporal lobe. So the, the hippocampus means seahorse in, in Greek. Yes. yes. To come out of the tail of the seahorse, that then goes to what's called the subiculum, and then that connects to the temporal lobes. So it does eventually spread through the temporal lobes. We have lots of plaques and tangles in the temporal lobe, but somehow those music memory cells are not affected. Oh my gosh, what a yeah. gift. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because that's literally saving the day 
when it comes to presenting music to this population of patients. I mean, that is the gift of gifts that, uh, and I've seen that these music cells, they took Irwin right off the platform. Yeah. I mean, days before he crossed over, he would be in his bed like a corpse in the morning. And I would go in with my shakers and turn on the music to dance to the, 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 the dancing queen. And from his at almost unconscious state, he would hear the rhythm and his hands would start to come up out of the sheets <laughs> and his knees would start to come up. And we were literally dancing to each other with each oh. other every morning instead of rolling over and having a kiss and a cuddle with our beloved, we were dancing right off the platform. And yeah. so consequently, having had this experience firsthand, this is what motivates me to get out of bed every day, to hear you verbalize and teach us the details of what's happening music men's minds is such a gift and i'm hearkening back to renee fleming at yeah. her summit she looked into my eyes and she said carol music men's minds has to be everywhere and we're gonna help and so i mean i'm the lucky recipient of all of this news and 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 I am so proud to be able to be on the road with everybody and to know that our gift is priceless. Yeah, Renee Fleming's been an amazing champion of this. Um, and uh, Francis Collins, who was the head of the NIH, um, is, is a fellow musician, you know, and um, plays a good guitar, has a great voice. And He's also very much behind this. And actually, you know, there was one time that Joe Perry, the guitarist from Aerosmith and founder of Aerosmith, and Francis Collins and I played a concert together for Congress. Yeah. And that was, that was, that was, we, we actually did a Bob Dylan song, The Times They Are a Changing, with uh, Francis and Joe Perry on guitar. And I was, and uh, I was actually playing keyboards and harmonica. I play harmonica as well. And, um, and then Francis changed the words. To talk about funding and the NIH funding research and the times that are changing, so it was it was great. So I mean, you know, there are people out there. There are musicians everywhere. Uh, I know that in in my own field, I find the people who are Alzheimer's researchers or also musicians tend to do the most creative and groundbreaking work. There's a real correlation there. I think because music teaches you uh, how to emphasize the search and research rather than the re and research doing new things. You know. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I was Ron Hirschberg, Dr. Ron Hirschberg, who um, runs home base for the, for the veterans. He's a fellow musician, keyboard player. And in fact, he and I worked a bit with Mickey Hart, the uh, drummer from Grateful Dead, on, on producing some music with gamma frequencies because uh, gamma frequencies entrain the brain in a way that removes amyloid. Uh, if you there are certain neurons in the brain we're studying that when they have a gamma frequency which is 40 hertz um they stimulate other cells in the brain to clear the amyloid and get rid of it um so we were working so we so ron and i were working with mickey hart to create music that had these gamma frequencies in it um so and i know mickey hart might be interested too in talking about this 
um, from the Grateful Dead. He's an amazing drummer. Yeah. Well, I actually saw this video on, I think it was the Renee Fleming Foundation. And that just blew me away to think that the amyloid could actually be removed as a result of these frequencies. However, you know, to listen to that is not very melodic. <laughs> and I was well, plugged up to that for hours at a time. No, we, we, I mean, in our own studies, we use light to do it. We train with light, but uh, yeah, gamma listen to listen to a gamma frequency is not pleasant, but you can embed it in the music. So you have music and then subliminally underneath you have the gamma frequency. So I don't notice as much. Excellent. Excellent. And somebody who's missing today is our beloved Dave Clifton, who, as you know, yeah. uh, would have been here today, but for Cassie's passing. Yeah, sad. And, I mean, shocking, shocking. But I know that Dave uh, has been wanting to introduce you to Dr. Joyce Schaefer from Washington State, who is authoring a new book right now. And uh, Dr. Joyce is on the platform. Joyce, why don't you say hello? And I'm sure that you have a comment to make to uh, Dr. Tansy. Um, yeah, Rudy, when I think about how much you have done in science plus in music, I get shortness of breath. Do you have a music piece that will fix that kind of shortness of breath? <laughs> okay, that wasn't my best question. Let me ask you. <laughs> I was delighted to hear you say that there is a website where people can go to listen to your music. And there are several reasons why I want you to repeat it. One of them is I'm sure you're aware of the uh, study recently that measured newborns and four months later after birth and found uh, changes in their brain that uh, gave evidence that they remembered the music they heard in utero. Mm -hmm. And my emphasis has been always from across the entire lifespan, what can we do? So um, that's one of the reasons that I want you to please re-give us in a way that I can write it down, the link where people can go and listen to your music. Yeah, I just put it in the chat. I don't know if you saw that. Um, yeah, I heard that in your study was pretty cool. I think it was um, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, right? That they would, and that that's, that's what they used was. I don't remember the song. Yeah, I just was not in the room, and, and then the, the 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 baby would remember it, um, would respond to it afterwards. Four months after birth. I mean, yeah. it's yeah. Yeah. So I think that's my. Uh, you know, I the other I hear you saying that music is part of what drives you, your work in science, and it's just reading and writing. Mine is the lazy part. You guys do all the work when you do the research. All I do is read it and interpret it and try to teach it somewhere. But it's better than food. Reading this neuroscience, it's mm -hmm. better than sleep. You know, it's it's awesome. Yeah, thank you. It's, it's, you know, for me, it's like, um, I, I love playing music and I get excited playing music, but I, I have to say looking at an Excel sheet full of data with a small font excites me more <laughs> as much as I love music. Because <laughs> I just, uh, I love the thrill of science. I love the thrill of discovery. And I love the thrill of 
discovering something new. And it's very similar to improvisation and that transcendence that comes from playing something new. That's why people have jam sessions. You try to transcend and find something sacred together, right? And that feeling you get when you're doing something totally new. And then in science, that carries over when, when that, that it drives you to want to do really totally new things in science as well, you know, rather than derivative stuff. You know, derivative is fine. I mean, you know, some people, you need replication in science. So the re is important too in research. But, you know, I try to teach my students to dream big, come up with the biggest ideas possible, but then to keep yourself honest, when you go into the lab, your only job is to disprove your hypothesis. So dream big, come up with the biggest hypotheses you can. But then when you go in the lab, don't try to prove it. You're going to fool yourself. Design your experiments to disprove it and see how well it holds up. And that's, an, that's that gives you the balance you need for, you know, for great new discoveries. Yeah. And well, and the other one of the other beauties of music is that it is culturally adaptable. And the other thing is that it will do so much for the brain and people, you know, education is not enough to get people to do what they need to do in lifestyle choices, but they will do what's fun, easy, portable and culturally adaptable and either free or low cost. And so, again, it's one of the huge gifts that you folks that are musicians bring. But uh, again, we cannot thank you enough, not only for your science, but for your music. Oh, well, you're very welcome. And thank you very much for, for saying that. Makes you feel happy. <laughs> thank you, Joyce. And John, you have a question for Rudy. Yes, I do. Thank you, Rudy, for joining us today. Uh, it's been absolutely fabulous. 50 years oh. ago, I took a, a science class for non-scientists called Science and Art which mm -hmm. was effectively a comparison that uh, artists and scientists are both going where nobody else has gone before to create something new to, to build on the, the, the edifice of knowledge so far. And that uh, you look at uh, classical music or you look at anything like that, and it is both unique and inevitable, mm -hmm. the best, which just describes both. Um, I have a question. Uh, before another comment, uh, can you grow your brain, brain cells back? Or once they're gone, they're gone? Well, I grew up being told you can't. And that was the way my mother told me not to have that second or third drink, you know, because he said, you're going to kill your nerve cells but when you have a cocktail or a beer and, you know, and they don't grow back. Um, <laughs> still good advice. But the fact is, Specifically in the hippocampus, the part of the brain with a short-term memory that's affected in Alzheimer's, we published a paper uh, a few years ago and another one last week showing that um, there can be what's called neurogenesis, meaning the birth of new neurons, the birth of new nerve cells. So, so luckily, the part of the brain where you need it most, the hippocampus, you, you can induce the birth of new nerve cells. And it turns out that uh, exercise will do that. That's fabulous. So exercise um, induces not only the birth of new nerve cells, but the production of chemical growth factors that keep those new nerve cells alive. So actually, we're, we're using that information now to come up with combinations of drugs and natural products that will do what exercise does. Because and you say, well, why not just, you know, exercise? Well, 
in these studies that were done in mice with that were given Alzheimer's genetically, um, you give them a running wheel and they run all night really fast. There is no way any human could possibly exercise even like to one-tenth of, of, of what these mice do. So if that's what it takes, we're like, okay, let's figure <laughs> out, you know, exercise is good, but let's figure out pharma pharmacologically how to do this as well. So we have a right. whole research program just based on mimicking the ability of exercise to induce the birth of new nerve cells in the hippocampus. Well, I'm going to work out now. Uh, I don't know if you saw this morning, Frank Bruni's piece in the New York Times uh, had a, uh, a quote uh, from Lucinda Williams' music uh, saying that uh, the songs we hear as children end up being like our fathers. We hear their voice in their head even when they're not there. That's another way of saying that. That's it. pretty cool. Yeah, I yeah. That, 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 makes, uh, that makes a lot of sense. The last thing I want to say is that we are moving in and taking what we do to a macro level into the community. We have an arrangement with the Department of Aging and, and Disability here to start putting music groups and senior centers all over town. We're gonna to grow that from this town to a lot of towns. So when you talk about us being in, uh, at the beginning of the revolution that's coming in here, we really are, because we want this to be public health because we can uptick just a little bit the, the basic capabilities of people with neurodegenerative issues, you were talking about stress, you were talking about uh, depression and all of that. You can reduce the stress on the community's uh, health system because you're not yeah. going to EMTs, you're not going to the emergency rooms, right. you're not drugs as much. Right. So um, we're taking that to that level. And uh, at some point, pretty soon, I'd like to talk to people in Boston about it. That's well, because other we're talking about uh, other cities as well. And we have a nice pilot study going here to prove the e efficacy of, of this. Um, last thing is, again, thank you for sharing your time with us uh, and, and, and your music with us. I mean, you are such a double threat with that. You know, you're the poster <laughs> child for everything that we're talking about. Well, I, I, uh, some people say I'm a little distracted, but that's okay. <laughs> I don't know. I think, I think I really, you know, even, um, you know, I wrote a series of books and I just find when you, when you do other things like write, write books, write music, play music, that they, they feed into each other, you know, success breeds success. Mm -hmm. And let's face it, it's a lot easy. It's going to be a lot faster and easier to, get excited playing music than, than the time it takes to make a new discovery in science. Sure. That feeling and that, that desire to transcend and climb higher when you're playing music, especially if you're playing jazz and improvising, um, that drives that desire to climb higher and transcend in science, you know, or, or write, or write, like when I write, even when I wrote book, I wrote three books, well, four books, but the, I wrote three most recently with uh, Deepak Chopra on the brain and on genes and on the on inflammation, and they all did really well. But like, even when I was writing those books, I would sit down in the same way I play music and just kind of meditate a bit and clear my mind and just let words come in. Like, don't 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 force the words. Just let the words that you're going to write come in. And, you, and it's the same thing with music. And the next thing you know. 
you're planning experiments in science and you're doing the same thing. You're meditating, you're clearing your mind, and then you're just letting those experiments kind of formulate in your brain. So yeah. you let it be or you let it emerge rather than trying to uh, force it. And then all of a sudden, I don't know, you tap into something magical. I don't know how to explain it. I think we are with our patients. Our patients get to express themselves with the music they like, or at least with the the, the singing, and all of a sudden they've recovered something themselves they haven't seen uh, in a long time, which is the fact that they have a musical soul. They have a, a means of self-expression to share themselves with the people around them, which they've gotten very much out of the habit to do. And um, it boosts confidence, I think, in a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. Confidence and and motivation. I see this on our tri-weekly Zoom platform. I don't know whether you know, Rudy, but we have a global tri-weekly Zoom platform that goes out um, under the leadership of a music therapist, a board-certified music therapist, and we do work with some researchers from the Berkeley College of Music. Oh, nice. And our present um, therapist will get a will get a rock to speak. We've watched people for a couple of years, three times a week, sitting there almost blank. And all of a sudden, they're asking for some songs from their youth. Hmm. And they are trying to sing it along with a karaoke backtrack. Mm -hmm. that their family members have heard a voice out of their patient, their beloveds, for years. And we are literally watching the magic that you were speaking about yeah. on a daily basis. It's fun, it's free, and it's therapeutic. And these people come online and are transformed. So I'd like you to know that that's one of our offerings over and above all of the in-person groups that we've got everywhere. But Zoom is so easy to access, especially for those that are homebound or in some kind of a facility. Yeah. And, and our therapy is there inviting them to join us to do what we're talking about. Um, it's on the hour. We said we wanted you for 30 minutes. <laughs> so thank you for being so generous. That was a quick hour, man. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. I thought it was the thing. Before we end, I just want to say that Super Genes that you wrote with Deepak Chopra is excellent. So if any of you listening haven't read it, you want oh, to. Healing stuff. <laughs> yeah, you get them all. Healing stuff. Yeah. Actually, you know, the, the Healing Self is the third one, and Super Genes was the second. Healing Self is yeah. also an excellent book. Yeah. I, well, I'm going to do one. I just put it off because I really wanted to focus on my research and not do anything else so like even with music i'm just doing the studio stuff and i'm not playing out live because it takes too much time i was invited to do some tours with joe perry and johnny depp and those guys in in europe and south america and i just said i can't i gotta keep my nose to the grindstone get get my research done and same thing with the books but i you know i came up with an acronym shield shield your brain um which is uh sleep handle stress interact with others exercise, learn new things, diet. And so I'm going to write a, and it kind of caught on. So I'm going to write a book on shield as soon as I get back to writing again. But, you know, writing takes a lot of time. I mean, music can just come out and play. 
uh, writing takes a little more, <laughs> a little more organization. So it's, it's like it takes takes a lot of time away from everything else. Absolutely. And yeah. what we're going to be doing, and we've been waiting for this day to come, but we're going to give you a page on our website, if you don't mind. And we're going to be able to link some of your papers and link your music website and just share with our readership all about you because we are so darn proud to be affiliated. And, and we are so deeply grateful that you even take this kind of time out of your schedule to spend time chatting with us like this. So please know how grateful we are and what supporters we are of yours. <laughs> and how delicious we're connected <laughs> this. Dr. Tansy, thank you so much from all of us for all of what you do for, for the world. And we're sitting with bated breath waiting for uh, news about a cure. I love the story about your little organoids. I mean, that yeah. is just unbelievable. You know who you actually might want to talk to is the guy, you know, you know Chris Mann, the person the singer I wrote the Alzheimer's anthem with, yes. you know, remember me? Yes. Chris, Chris, uh, Chris's dad has Alzheimer's and Chris, you know, um, there's an interesting story how Chris and I wrote that song and um, how he got the video done when he was on, when he was the lead in Phantom of the Opera and he got the whole cast, including the makeup guys to do this trans transition of a young woman to an older woman with Alzheimer's in the video with the song going. But He's a really cool guy. He might be somebody to, uh, good to talk to as well. I can put you in contact with him. That would be outstanding. So we'll send you an email with a little bit of a backstory about us, which you can tweak uh, as you as see fit and to share with those. And thank you for opening these glorious doors. I mean, no one but you can do this for us. And again, it's about our gratitude and uh, good fortune for you as you um, head down your research path to find the cure. Yes. Oh, thank you. <laughs> One last name to throw out there is, you know, Desmond Child. Desmond Child, he wrote, a, like, I think after Lennon and McCartney, he has the most top 10 hits of anybody. He wrote Living Out a Prayer for Bon Jovi and um, a bunch of the Alice Smith songs. Um, anyway he's he, he has a new book coming out about you know it's kind of like a lot of people don't know him but he he's probably the most successful songwriter of our time but he and i just wrote a, a new alzheimer's song recently called somewhere inside of you and um and when that when we we just did the demo of it which i, I didn't like it we're going to redo it but it's it's going to be another alzheimer's anthem and i'll keep you apprised of that and desmond might be somebody to talk to as well because he's a his book's about to come out he was just on cnn talking about it um very prolific uh songwriter if you look him up he might be he would probably be interested in doing this oh my gosh thank you thank you from all of us for all of what you do and have a glorious day and uh namaste namaste thank namaste. you thanks everybody it was fun thank you Thank you so much to our listeners for tuning in to Music as Medicine, Ask the Expert. If you'd like to learn more about Music Men's Minds or donate to our cause, please visit our website at www.musicmensminds.org. Thank you again to Dr. Tansy for joining us, and we'll see you next time.